My name is Marlon. Welcome to my podcast. You can find a blog post that accompanies this message on prmarlon.com. That's P-R-M-A-R-L-O-N dot C-O-M. May God bless you. This is a special episode. It was presented by Pastor Jason Williams. So you're going to hear his voice preaching for this one. And also you can find his sermon notes on my blog, prmarlon.com. So a special thank you to Pastor Jason Williams for joining me in this sermon series. If you still love Jesus, won't you say amen? amen? He is good. He is good. So I want to invite you at this time to just bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I am already blessed, but you have given me a word for your people. And so I pray that you would speak through me to speak a word that will glorify you and to challenge us. We did not come here for information, but we came for transformation. And so, Father, I pray that you will, you will use this word even now. Comfort the disturb and disturb the comfortable, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus oftentimes will operate in a way that is unusual. Jesus oftentimes will challenge the status quo. Jesus oftentimes will teach, but many quite often will not understand what he is teaching, although he is called the master teacher. It was very easy for people to misunderstand, uh, misinterpret what Jesus was saying because what he taught broke many of the rules of his time. You see, by the time Jesus started his ministry, started to teach, started to preach, there were about over a thousand different rules and regulations to follow. But as you can imagine, going against these rules and regulations drew the attention of the guardians of the law. The guardians of the law place the law above people, but instead Jesus comes along and he places people above the law. Now, I, like most pastors, have painted a negative picture of the scribes and Pharisees. Almost everything we say about the scribes and Pharisees is negative. But permit me today to correct this error and point out something that you may have never considered. And that is... The scribes and the Pharisees were great Seventh-day Adventists. You see, they truly wanted to do what was right. For no one in their right minds would 
would, would, would try to, 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 to deprive themselves of all the pleasures of this world just so that they can follow over a thousand different rules. No one in their right minds would, would, would deprive themselves of certain pleasures. You see, these scribes and Pharisees, they wanted to be right with God. They wanted to be a peculiar people. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to be righteous. And as a result, they followed these rules. They used these rules as their guide. Except that the scribes and the Pharisees took it a little bit too far. Meaning... Let me share this first. It was Rabbi Simeon who said, If there are only two righteous people in this world, I and my son are they. But if there is only one righteous person in this world, it is I. The scribes and the Pharisees, they did their best to distance themselves from sin. But in the process, they distanced themselves from sinners. And understand that the religious leaders of Jesus' time had a problem with Jesus hanging out with sinners. The religious leaders of Jesus' time had a problem with Jesus hanging out with individuals who were all tattooed up. Individuals who had a different view or orientation. They had a problem with Jesus hanging out with prostitute. They had a problem with Jesus hanging out with that man or woman who would use a curse word in every sentence. They had a problem with Jesus hanging out with that man or woman who smoked or drank like there was no tomorrow. They had a problem with Jesus hanging out with the very same people they had a grudge against. And it is under this context that we see Jesus trying his best to win the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees through parables. But also the Bible informs us that there were some other men and women that were standing around Jesus. They called them tax collectors and sinners. Now I know Pastor Marlon touched on this last week, but I just wanted to draw your attention again to this one point, and that is, notice Jesus did not send out a Facebook message. Notice that Jesus did not send out a tweet. He did not send out an email. He did not uh, text anyone. He did not take out an announcement in the Roman or the Jewish tabloid. Yet still, there were a multitude of people flocking to see him. What was his method? What did he do that caused people to leave their vocations, leave their, their, their pleasures to come and see this man? 
We are going to explore that. But first, let's dive into Luke chapter 15, verse 8 to 10. And I know that some of you already know that parables are not actual historical events, but that they are are made-up stories to prove a larger point. And that is why Jesus shares the story of the lost sheep. That is why Jesus shares the story of the lost coin. And that is why he shares the story of the prodigal son. And so today we are focusing on the lost coin. Now in the U.S., say, U.K., and many other parts of the world, when a young man or man is in love with a woman, they will go out and get a flower, and they will get a box. And inside that small box is a ring. And the tradition is that the man will go down on one knee. And sometimes they will have that flower where they pull out that flower. But the most important object in that experience is that small box and what is inside of it. And he will ask this young damsel, this beautiful woman, a question. What is that question? Say it a little louder. And in that moment... The man's, young man's heart is pounding out of his chest. The woman is screaming in her head because she doesn't know what she's going to say. The young man is hoping that she says yes. And if she reciprocate by saying, yes, I will marry you, then she will ha- he will hand that ring to her. In Japan, both families of the bride and groom, the, the, the husband and wife-to-be, they will exchange gifts of certain kind. In Thailand, the bride is given gifts of gold. And it is important to point out that as I was researching this, she will not accept diamonds, only gold. This is in Thailand. Blake Lively received a ring worth $2.5 million. Beyonce, I know you don't know who she is, received a diamond ring worth $5 million. Mariah Carey received a diamond ring worth $10 million. Now imagine if any of these brides were to lose their ring. Exactly. The reality is when a man loves a woman, he will or he would, if possible, take a star from the sky and place it on her finger. Come on, say amen. That's good stuff. (laughs) And in Bible times, it wasn't... There isn't any difference to this. In other words, in Bible times, a woman or the bride-to-be would be given a headband. And this headband would have ten coins on it. And each coin took, was about a day's worth of work. 
And so she had on her head about 10 days worth of pay. Now the Bible informs us that the, she lost one of this coin. And now she is down to nine coins. At this point in time, she could say, well, I have nine coins. Why do I need to bother myself and go looking for this missing coin? The truth of the matter is, the coin that is lost now renders the whole thing worthless. And so she frantically lights a lamp and begins to search diligently. One thing you may or may not know is that the Jewish homes in those times hardly had any windows. And if they did have windows, they were small. So as you can imagine, inside of the house was dark. She needed a lamp. And so she is searching for this coin in a dark space. The reason she also has a broom is that as she sweeps the floor, the hope is that she will hear this ringing noise as this coin runs across or rolls across the floor. Can you see her sweeping? She is sweeping under the table. She is sweeping under the, the chair. She is sweeping under the, 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 the bed. For she is desperate. She is determined and she is diligent. She needs to find this coin. But again, this was just a made-up story that Jesus was telling and it is interesting that Jesus used a story that required a woman inside of it, in that story. You see, Jesus was deliberate in doing this because as you study scripture, you will realize that woman in prophetically represents the church. So what Jesus was saying, in essence, in, to the scribes and Pharisees and to the scribes and Pharisees is that it's their responsibility to go after the lost. And what Jesus is saying to you and I today is that it is our responsibility to go after the lost. And like this woman, we ought to be desperate, determined, and diligent. And so she's searching, not in some arbitrary place. She is searching in her home. Why? Because that is where the coin is. Now, I know some may look at this parable and deduce or conclude that here is biblical evidence that our focus should be inside the church. But if you dig a little deeper and read the scripture, you will find that that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying that she is searching where the coin is. Yes, there may be a lost coin, a lost soul inside the church, but there is also lost souls outside of the church. And so it is our challenge, should be our challenge to go where the coin is. So the Bible tells us that she lights a lamp and sweep the house and she is searching carefully. You see, she is going after the coin. You see, she, she knows that the coin, rather, she is going after the coin. For she knows that 
the coin is not going to be coming after her. And can I tell you today that there are some who will never come to church until we go after them. But I don't want you to miss the profundity of what I'm trying to say here. The point I want to point out here is that there are some, there are many out there who are bound by their circumstances. And it is very difficult for them to accept the gospel. Not necessarily because they don't want to, but because their situation is keeping them from getting to Jesus. All right, come here, Lazarus. I see some of you are wondering what I'm saying. Let me ask Lazarus to help me teach, preach this message. Lazarus was dead and was now in the tomb for how many days? Four days. But now he was stinking as his body was now rotting away. His body was decaying. And Jesus comes along and did what no one else could do. Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the grave. But notice also that Jesus does something else. He invites those who were around to participate in the miracle. Why? Because Lazarus was still clothed in grave, or he was still in his grave clothing, or his burial clothing. He, Lazarus was still mummified, and as a result, it was difficult for him to get to Jesus. His movement was restricted by his situation. And it is at this time that Jesus invites those who were nearby to unbound him. But couldn't Jesus do that by himself? Couldn't Jesus just speak a word and, and Lazarus would be unbounded? The, the, the burial clothes would be removed? Absolutely, that could happen. But Jesus wanted the people who were around to participate in the miracle, to, be, to, 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 to see the power of salvation, to gain a, a testimony. And so he invites them to unbound Lazarus, to take that burial clothes and begin to remove it from from him, And can I tell you today that there are some people who are bounded by all kind of circumstances. As a result, it is very difficult for them to get to Jesus. Some are bounded by financial situations. Some by, by marital issues. Bound by mental issues. Bound by loneliness. Bound by depression. Bound by confusion. And Jesus is inviting you and I to unbound them, to participate in the miracle so that they can get to Jesus. And I love what one of this, this prolific writer writes. She says, there is need of coming closer to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing, and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the, the inexperienced counseled. Then she continues, we are to weep with those that weep. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, and the power of the love of God. This work will not, cannot go without fruit. And this is the secret to success. Again, Jesus didn't mind challenging the status quo. Jesus didn't mind doing things differently as long as it meant that people were able to get to him. And I heard someone said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And so friends of mine, what if, just what if, we decided to challenge the status quo of doing church a little bit differently. This week, myself, Pastor Marlon, and several of the pastors from the Idaho Conference spent some time up at Camp Ida Haven, and we were able, we were blessed to sit at the feet of two scholars, one of whom was uh, Dr. Hyveth Williams. Anybody know her? Her? powerful woman of God. And she deposited us some powerful, powerful information. But one thing she shared with us, which she don't mind me telling you, is that, is that she got her second doctorate degree at age 76. Right? Amazing. And she, and the reason she shared this is because she wanted to challenge us with the understanding that it is all right to keep on learning. Never stop learning. The other gentleman was uh, Dr. Song Kwan, and he also shared some powerful information. And he shared a story which I wanted to share with you. He shared a story about a pastor who accepted a call at a small church. And... And as soon as he walked into this building, he noticed that there was a particular problem. The problem was that there were about 20 people in this church. And when he went to prayer meeting, there were about five people in this church at prayer meeting. And so he thought, you know, I can continue ministering to these five people or we can do things a little bit differently. What if instead of coming here to just pray, what if we went out to our community and, and find out what were some of the needs of our community? And so the, everyone agreed, yeah, why don't we do that? So they all rallied together, went out to the community and started knocking on doors, asking one simple question. What can we do for you? How can we as a church help you? And the community responded, we don't have food. We don't have anything to eat. And so the church and the pastor got together and said, let's buy some food. And then once a week, let's start giving away food to the community. And so they started doing that. They were giving away food to the community. And there was one particular family who showed up to church to to, to, to receive food for their family. And, and, and as they were collecting, the, they noticed that this family was, was collecting or gathering more food than everyone else. And it was significant enough that it caught the attention of the pastor. And so he walks over and inquired, why are you taking so much food? To which they responded, well, we have internet. 
Okay, can you explain what you mean by that? Well, the school library closes at 5 p.m., and so the immigrant children in the community, they don't have internet, and so we collect a little extra food so that they can come to our, our, our home, have lunch, as well as be able to complete their assignments. Another light bulb went off in the pastor's head. So he says, well, church, we need to beef up our internet so that we can invite the, the, the community, the children, so that they can come to our church and, and do their assignments, which they did. Well, a businessman caught wind, heard what this, what this uh, pastor, what this church was doing. And so they decided, the, the businessman decided that he would bless this church by purchasing a property so that they could build a church, which they were blessed to be able to build a 25,000 square feet church. Amen? But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. Now they had a new problem because now the church was filled with uh, Mexicans, Indians, West Indians, people from all over the world. The, and they were bursting at the seam. And now they shift their focus. And now their focus was now they were, they were ministering to their community by providing affordable housing for, for the community or for whoever needed it. They were providing housing for seniors. Uh, they, they had a gym available for the community. They have uh, child care. They had uh, mental, uh, biblical counseling for those who needed it. And, and, and many, many more. And just because they decided to do church differently, the church grew. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and I'm not going to leave you all, because many of you here today are doing wonderful things for Jesus. And I'm not talking about you. You are already involved in ministry, but I'm talking to that one person at home. I'm talking to that one person who you're wondering, what can I do? For Jesus. Is there anything that I can do? And I want to deposit. I want to share with you some things here. What if you and I were to spend some time at the Chamber of Commerce so we can learn about the needs of some of the business owners in our community? What if we were to start an English class for the Ukrainians in Boise? What if we were to join a Lions Club or a Rotary Club or a Domestic Violence Club so we can learn how to unbind people from what is keeping them from getting to Jesus? You see, friends of mine, there is something about this coin. Although it was lost, it still had value. Luke 20, verse 19 to 25. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him, the Bible says. That very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement, so that they could deliver him to the ruler and the authority of the governor. Verse 21, they questioned him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and, 
And you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. And so they raise the question, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription is on it. And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and to God the things that belong to God. You see, there was an image on this coin. And that image on the coin determines who the coin belongs to. And can I tell you today that lost sinners still bear the image of God. Even though that image has been marred by sin, even though that image has been distorted by sin, when a lost sinner is found, God begins to restore that divine image through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day the believer will be like Jesus. Lost means being out of place. Lost means unable to find one's way. Lost means not knowing one's whereabout. But what it does not mean is that you have lost your identity. What it does not mean is that you have lost who you belong to. And can I tell you today, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, sin may have taken you into a dark space. Sin may have marred you. Sin may have made you unrecognizable. Sin may have distorted your image. Sin may have uglified you. Sin may have messed you up. But can I tell you today that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners who plunge beneath that flow lose all their guilty stain. You see, friends of mine, there is another one which says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing. I wish I had a church here today. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You may not look like what you should look like. But I know someone who is able to clean you up, to restore you, because your, his image is imprinted on you. I'm wrapping up, I'm wrapping up. Friends of mine, Jesus came to save us from a warped understanding of who the Father is. And he is not one that is wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he would move heaven and earth for just one. For just one. And those in the hearing of Jesus' voice must have been shocked to hear that God searches for sinners. That is, that was not the message they were expecting to hear. 
They were offended that Jesus did not, did, was not willing to play their game or be satisfied with one person missing. And for that reason, you and I cannot be satisfied if there is that one that is missing. That one may be your son, your daughter, your parent, your neighbor. And we got to be willing to break the status quo, to grab our lamp and broom and search diligently. Finally, verse 9 and verse 10. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In other words, friends of mine, there's going to be a party. <laughs> I said, there's going to be a party. <laughs> There's going to be a party when Jesus comes. And I want to tell you that there is also a party every time somebody gets dipped in this baptismal pool right here. There's a party. Every time somebody turns around and, and gives their life to Christ, there is a party in heaven. Every time somebody rejects the world and keep their eyes on Jesus, decide that they're going to walk with Jesus, there is a party. Friends of mine, there's going to be a party. There's going to be a party. And I'm wondering if anybody here wants to be part of that party. And so therefore, if Jesus is willing to break the status quo, if Jesus is willing to go after the loss, if he is able to make the loss whole again, I wonder if you are willing to partner with God for Boise. I wonder if anybody here is willing to partner with God for Nampa. Anybody here who is willing to partner with God for all of Treasure Valley? And if that is you, won't you stand with me? Thank you that your love continues to pursue us. Even if it's just, just one person. And I know that there is someone in the hearing of my voice who is wondering, is your grace good enough even for someone like me? And the answer is yes. Yes, and that is why you send your son, Jesus Christ, for just one. And I pray, Father, that we'll, we will assume your attitude towards that one person and go out and proclaim and declare and, and invite those who are broken, those who are lost, into a saving relationship with you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody say, Amen. Amen.